Uh, welcome back to the show. Nick tasked me with coming up with the topics for today's episode. Did Last episode was the Jack Settlement episode, a.k.a. average, 5 out of 10 on average views. I'm fine with being average. Here's Shout the out. thing. Here's the thing. We didn't promote it. Um, I also just ripped a Q and A yeah, that went. I was live. listening to that. I like that. Did you? Yeah. I want to do that. I think once a week. Okay. But the the question now becomes like, do we get enough questions where we could do them on here, and then I can also do those. Probably. Okay. I I can I can be helpful with with getting more questions. Okay. I don't even necessarily know if we need more questions on here because we could take like one or two on here. Yeah. We just need to make sure we're on top of topics We've been, for this show. Yeah. You know. So now that's my job. If you, and yeah, that's why I started off the podcast welcoming everyone. Okay, I, I'd like to put you in, in charge of uh, the topics. I'm no, I'm, I'm dead serious. <laughs> no, I, I think we need to probably have like clear um, outlines for what each of us are doing for the show. Okay, because I think want, I, do you want them before? Um, I, I'd like them before just so I could be like, nah, I hate all, like all of right, this. Right. You know what I'm saying? All right, cancel this episode. We'll film <laughs> tomorrow. I'll send you these topics. Right. Ooh, welcome, Mike, to big content. Well, now that it's my show, uh, first topic of today's episode is self-awareness as a creator. And this question is in pertaining, pertainment, just invented that word, to your value. So we talked about Amazon last week. We talked about... Any update on that, by the way? Yeah, we're making progress with them. We're negotiating, I would say. We haven't like fully negotiated, but we're we got a lot of outside perspective and kind of attacking it from was a there, different. Angle. Was there any good? Yeah, well, let's talk about some of the advice then. Um, is this your show? I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Sorry, you're not laughing today. All right, never mind. <laughs> um, no, we we got a bunch of different different advice. Some was like you're not going to get the number that you're expecting, and then. You know, I kind of push back and be like, well, what number do you think we're expecting? And that number was more than we were expecting. Really? So, yeah. Okay. So that, you know, and then we're trying to figure out what's the best way to frame things. Then we're talking negotiation tactics. And pretty much the biggest takeaway was no one really gave nice. us. Uh, yeah, no one knows. Uh, so everyone gave us good answers for what they know. And. This is where my belief in this show and, and how I want to do stuff in general is like transparency is going to be really beneficial for creators. Mm -hmm. Now, there's obviously a part of if we lock in a number, Amazon, it might not be written in the contract, but I know they're not going to want us sitting up here talking about numbers. Even Underdog, they don't want us talking about, you know, very specific numbers here. So... That's where I kind of struggle to, you know, you have to play the game, you have to accept, and especially if it's a, a legal thing. But how do we almost give a little bit of leverage to the creators to know, all right, here's the right range or here's the budget that you should be expecting, you know, and everything will be situation by situation. But I think usually you could talk about previous deals. I also think there's a level of like, hey, I'm getting in bed with, Nick or Jack, there's a chance that this is part of it, you know? Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's also, of course, like that level of right, respect right. with them. And I think anytime there's going to be like a, a line being crossed, I have no problem getting on the phone with someone like you or someone that I'm close to and, and speaking a little bit more deliberately about the numbers just yeah. so it can help them out. I would come on the show here 
and talk about numbers only if I felt like it was actually advantageous. I think there's a lot of ways that you could make the same point without getting into the numbers Mm -hmm. or float around numbers that are like in the ballpark or be like, this is what you should be looking for because this is like the industry average or something like that. It doesn't necessarily need to be like, this is exactly how much money I made off this deal because that feels like people just would want to hear that out of gossip rather than learning. And I think you could probably get most of the learning points across by using different examples or roundabout ways of getting there. Yeah. And there's some stuff that are more standard, like the if you've been in the fantasy or sports betting space, you know the the CPA or cost of acquisition on average. You yeah. know it differs from company. Exactly. To company. That, that but, stuff I have no like. But this is this was more like media plan impressions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little more vague. And and what's our value if if one you know if we sell them X amount of impressions at a certain CPM, but we have one TikTok that goes viral. Is that just part of added value and what what we're pitching, or should we, you know, build that into the plan? So, yeah, we're we're working through it with them, and uh, can't wait to hear those numbers. Yeah, you feed them to me, I'll leak them, so (laughs) they won't be your fault. Yeah, exactly. How McAfee did it. All right. So the the reason bridging off of that, I wanted to talk about self awareness to know your value as a creator. So not only going through that, but we're also having a conversation with an athlete about a partnership uh, for content and some of the other kind of products that we're working on. And the offer they came through with was shockingly to me, like very reasonable, a lot of athletes, a lot of brands, and then also on the other side, a lot of creators I feel like are completely missing their value. Either they're not humble enough to accept what their value is or they're not self-aware to accept. So the first question is to you, how do you think about your value? Do you think you undersell yourself, undervalue yourself? Do you think you overvalue? Uh, When you think about working with partners, when you think about just social reach, all of it, you know, kind of packaged together. I think my attitude on this has changed a little bit. I think for like the first bunch of years that I was in the space. I think I undersold Mm -hmm. us. I think I undervalue, not undervalue, but like I purposely undersold things. I like starting off a relationship on a good foot and being like, I'll always over deliver for you. Exactly. In the long run, that typically works, it works itself out. And the other partner will take care of you because then you, you build leverage that way. Cause then they're like, Oh fuck, we kind of need you. (laughs) And now we're willing to overpay for the services that you brought to us. That's the thing though. Do you feel like they overpay or then they pay the right amount of value? I don't, I don't know the answer to it. I I think there's give and take everywhere. Cause it's like, maybe they underpay us, but then they also have their own business model Mm -hmm. where like maybe they're running a fucking 5% profit. Cause they also have to pay the salaries and all this kind of stuff. So I I don't want to dip my, my hands into other people's pockets, not knowing the full context of the situation of their business, not knowing relative to like what they're paying other people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, some like I can gauge our market value based on knowing the types of deals that you guys have, or mm-hmm. that you're signing with people in your agency or other creators in the space that I know a lot of them come to me and I'm like, yo, what should I be looking for? Right. And if I'm the person like setting the market value, like that's just ends up being what the, the market is in a mm-hmm. sense. So it's like, they could be underpaying us. I kind of look at it, not in a way of like I need to squeeze out every penny to make sure I'm at like market value. If I'm comfortable with the deal, like, and, and you might be asking yourself, I think that that's kind of where it comes down to. It's like, what should I be asking for? It's like, well, what do you feel good about? Like, what do you feel good about being able to deliver 
on the other side of this, knowing that like if they have, I think you should also ask them what their goals are, what the company's goals are. And if it's a number that you can hit, then it's, I think you give yourself leverage. Cause you're like, I will be able to deliver this number for you. So mm-hmm. like how much is it actually worth for us to kind of get in bed together? So I, I think I've changed my tune a little bit now that obviously our overhead is a lot higher and we need to make money and I need right. to squeeze out a little bit more revenue than what we've probably done in previous years. So I'm, more looking to be on par with like, okay, this is our, you know, maybe this is our value (laughs) based on previous contracts and stuff that we've done and we won't settle for anything less than that. So I've changed my tune a little bit. I think for creators starting out, I would always under promise over deliver. Um, That stuff tends to work itself out. I would hammer that point home like 10 times. That has been every single partnership for the first five years of the business was just like, I don't even think under promise. Like, I think we were actually promising really strong things and we were still over delivering and we were still not being compensated completely for all those things. And that's why we worked with the same partners and work with the same partners like all the time. You know, it doesn't we don't change. And I see a lot of different companies out there that go from this brand to this brand to this brand to this brand. And I think if you're not delivering value, then, you know, why, why? Why do you deserve to get that? And yeah. so many people miss on that. I think there's also, um, I, I look at it from like a collaborative angle as well. I think there's a lot of that same energy that kind of transfers over because when you're talking about finance, it's very easy to be like, what's my value as it relates to finance, mm-hmm. right? And being like, this is what I'm getting paid for this deal. I think there's a whole nother avenue of looking at it as a creator from collaborating with people. Like the most valuable resource is time. Mm-hmm. And I have times where, like, I'll have a college kid reach out to me and be like, hey, I just started a podcast. Like, I've been watching your shit for five years. Could you come onto the podcast? And I'll be like, sure. I know that it, will li- it won't do a fucking <laughs> thing for me. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, but it's just something that I kind of appreciate and will be on. If, if, if I agree to a piece of content, like, when I show up for that piece of content, I'm there um, like wholeheartedly, my energy is strictly focused on that. Mm-hmm. So if someone, you know, I get on like, sorry, I know, like, I know you got a lot going on. I know you're busy. Like, we'll try to make this. I, I always say right back to them. I yeah. say like, you have my entire focus for the yeah. next, however long you want me. Like I agreed to come onto this. And I think a lot of that is kind of like the same way. It's like, I know I'm, I'm getting no value mm-hmm. realistically from that conversation, but I don't know, maybe something down the line from it could happen. I'm not expecting that shit to happen mm-hmm. whatsoever. That's kind of the way I look at collaborations. They either need to like feed me with energy and either needs to be just like goodwill or something that I think can actually incentivize or help your business. You're the chart graph guy, but I'm going to use mine here. I think that you should be, As a creator, in anything in business, genuinely, I think you should try to undervalue yourself for a very long time. And then it becomes this, all right, you find your value. After a long period of time where you've delivered, 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 you find your fair value. Mm -hmm. I think there's probably only a couple percent that ever get to the point where they are, they're more valuable like 99% of people probably live in this space where they either think they're being undervalued or properly valued or they're actually properly valued. There's only 1% that Very, ever make it to where, make like, it where like someone's like overpaying the shit out of them and they're just like, I don't even know if I'm this good. No, I, my graph is all fucked up. I'm trying to say where people are actually undervalued so much. Like, for example, if, you know, Pat McAfee has reached a place where it, there was probably a point where FanDuel was only paying him, you know, $2 million a year, and he was probably worth 20 to them, right? 
eventually he got there. Uh, Drewski, I think, is on that same. Alex Earl, for a period of time, even when she was being paid a hundred grand to TikTok, she could drive ten million dollars yeah. in sales. She was still probably being undervalued, and that's at that level. I just don't think most people have to even worry about that. Like, I, I genuinely think most people are getting the proper value or they're being overvalued. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I I think it also comes back. Yeah, there's not a lot of people that get to, like, have negotiations with bigger brands where it's like, oh, the value here, the value. Like, you you typically build your own value through what the market sees you as, yeah. you know? Like, it's like, oh, my time is, is super valuable. Like, I don't have time to make this content. It's like your time is not worth shit because no one's actually listening to what you're saying. Right. You know what I mean? Like, when you're saying, like, you should under-deliver or under-promise uh, under for two years or whatever, yeah. that's kind of like my whole point with content. It's like you're just making content for free for two, two and a half years, three years. If you try to sell, you're already over, you're over-promising and you're about to under-deliver mm -hmm. on the content that you're making. So you give out free value for an extremely long time. That is how you guarantee under promising and you continue to show up every day you're guaranteeing over delivering because the 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 promising is nothing all you're doing is saying like i'm going to show up and only give you value you're not you're not saying that you're going to do anything more than that you're not saying that you're going to like do this or xyz like the, the audience is only expecting to show up and get value you deliver that on par there's no risk of over over going on that like i wonder how many speaker fees are out there that are that actually for their fee now the market right and and what their actual value is are two separate things. The market might say this person delivers great talks for $10,000. That's his mm -hmm. speaker fee. I actually wonder how often that person is being underpaid for that. Even if they're really good, even if they bring out a crowd, like I doubt it's very often. Well, I feel like we live in a world where that, that I mean, think of anyone that's successful. You named all like the Alex Rolls. Any yeah. any single person that gets to that level was obviously underpriced at right, some point. Right. We also live in a in a world where people are so in tuned with these different markets that it's very it's very difficult to actually capture those people. And you could almost I, okay, you could look at it from a creator standpoint, like companies like the underdogs, the prize picks or whatever, in order for them to capture an up and coming creator who might not be there yet, they almost need to pay them a level above right. just to like lock them in an exclusive, whatever it is. Same thing with like NBA players. Now it's like, you're giving the four year, hundred million dollar deal right, right. to someone that you're projecting to play at a hundred million dollar level. Right. Some of them end up being the Jalen Brunson. Some of them end up being the Chandler Parsons, whatever <laughs> it is. You know what I mean? So it's like with that, I think about fantasy too, like in dynasty fantasy football, you can't trade for a player that people there, there could be a player that hasn't proven a single thing, but their trade value is at as if they're elite, the, right, their right. peak, like they're going to become the guy that you think they're going to. That's with like most markets, I think, nowadays. And maybe that's from like a surplus of money or surplus of like whatever it is, that resource, and it'll probably come back down to earth. But I think that's typically the case because everyone's so aware of everyone. It's not like back in the day where it's like, oh, you might have heard about something through somebody, mm -hmm. but like social presents the highest case scenario for a person, a thing, a brand, a company, whatever it is that you're trying to like invest into to the point where you basically have to pay a premium for the chance at being invested in someone who might hit a premium. I also think about NFL players and contracts in this same kind of example of, of trying to showcase how many players in the league are undervalued. I don't, I, it's hard to say just because I don't actually know the economics of an NFL team. Like, I can't imagine there's a number where Patrick Mahomes is ever overvalued. Well, so that's that was what my example was going to be, was 
the market says that Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence are all, this is their value, right? Their fair market value. They're still not in that category of Patrick Mahomes where no matter what, same as LeBron mm-hmm. James, those are the only two guys who are still at the top price are undervalued. And th- those people, it's rare that you get finally to that top billing and you can still be undervalued where you've pretty much broken the system. Cause I think the rest of those guys are properly valued for the most part. Maybe. But then you think about the league and it's like, how many of those guys are undervalued? It's rarely, it's pretty much just like the rookies. And then if a rookie shows promise, they get their value met fairly, fairly quickly. Okay. Well, the, the, that's the thing. It's like, okay, imagine um, rookies, weren't trapped into like, you know how every, they, there's yeah, basic yeah, structure for exactly yeah. where you're picked and whatever. Imagine every rookie came in with an absolutely fresh, imagine there's no NFL draft. Yeah. And it was like, here's the rookie incoming yeah, yeah. class right now. Every one of the top 30 picks would get a deal that overvalues them at that time. Exactly. Because you're paying for the ceiling. Is basically what I'm saying is like every yeah. market has gotten to the point where you actually have to pay the premium premium of things in the projection of them hitting that market. And I guess my advice to a creator would be don't, even properly value yourself because everyone else is going to base themselves off the market undervalue yourself. So let's say Nick wants $10 million a year to be the starting wide receiver for the Falcons. I think I'm better than Nick. I think I'm going to have better stats than Nick. Don't come in at 10, come in at seven and And you play like 17. Exactly. And and you'll get 27. Exactly. Eventually, you will get your value. We got there, finally. Yeah, no, I, I think that's the right way to look at it, for sure. Because, I mean, listen, the, the truth always comes out. Like, if you're good enough, you're going to get paid eventually what you're worth. And these companies are not stupid. They look at what they're paying. They look at the, the, the metrics, the, the stuff. Yeah. They look at how many people are driving from, you know, what number. And if you're worth it, they're definitely willing to pay. These are most companies out there. So. Yeah. All right, next question or next combo. Front Office Sports, uh, who I'm a big fan of. I think they... They're probably like the first business, sports business publication that doesn't just report on the news, that actively like goes out and finds stories, gets scoops, which I think is really cool. So props to them. But uh, one of their head writers just wrote a piece on how ESPN staff is generally upset over the Pat McAfee deal announcement. And I think you touched on that. And I'm going to come back and say, obviously... It sucks to see, and I think the title or headline they use was like, it's like seeing your ex get engaged a month later. I totally have sympathy for the people who are getting laid off. And a lot of the conversation in the article was about how these top stars' salaries is essentially creating this wage gap where they're all fine, they're all locked into contracts. It's the, it's the back office people, it's the audio technicians who are getting let go. Once again, major sympathy for those people losing jobs. It's t- it's a brutal market right now, and that's just kind of like people have to make cuts. But I think it's just a total lack of self-awareness, in my opinion. And I, I hope I don't come off the wrong way here, but Pat McAfee will drive so much value to that company where I think he actually may be undervalued, even at that scale. And your job... For the most part, like you are replaceable to a degree. And I, I always find it funny because Hallie, my my amazing fiance, always tells me about how she's at the safe job. And I think she's really good at what she does. I also think that 
even if there's not someone as good as her, there's someone probably 90% as good as her. You can't find Pat McAfee out there. You can't find Troy Aikman out there. You can't find any of the top tier Stephen A. Smith out there. Yes, you can to a degree, but they're much tougher to replace than your audio produce. Like, I mean, it just shows that the, there's a difference between skill and brand. Right. Like, it just shows you the power of brand. And, like, everyone just says brand, 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 like personal brand. It's a buzzword. When you start to put the numbers behind it, it's not just a multiplier. It's literally exponential. Yeah. Like, the amount of jobs that could be higher that Pat McAfee is now yeah. getting fully paid for, basically. It could be, I don't know, 100 full-time employees that are getting cut strictly <laughs> to pay for Pat McAfee. Yeah. That is the... That tells you personal brand is 100 times more powerful. And that's than probably a skill. the safest part. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not the corporate job that's paying your biweekly paycheck. So when Hallie's like, oh, you're in this, you know, up and down job. And, and I am. Like, some weeks, you know, we're negotiating deals. If they don't come through, that's a big revenue loss for the company. And I, But I can't really get fired completely. Like, I can always determine... Her company could wake up one day and be like, hey, we have to cut 20%. Now, she might be so valuable that she's not in that 20%. But I just think it's it's a little bit of a lack of self-awareness to be upset over the fact that, of course, ESPN's going to bring in something that they think is an amazing deal. Now, if they were like, well, we think this is an awful business move, and they fired me for that, yeah, I'd be salty. But I highly disagree with people who, who might feel that way. No, I, I agree. I think... It's tough because it's just an emotional situation. Yeah. So it's uh, self-awareness is kind of hard to have control over when those things so personally affect you, you know, because yeah. it, it affects your family. It affects yeah. friends. It affects, it's real. Yeah. It affects everything. It was kind of what I was saying last time. I was like, that's probably why they didn't want to, like, announce the numbers out loud because yeah. you do have a lot of, like, disgruntled employees. You yeah. never know where those people are going to end up. They're going to end up at a competitor company. They're going to end up starting their own thing and then be competitors down the line or, mm-hmm. like, Anything like that, I think a lot of it just goes back to laying out expectations. Most of the, I mean, if we're looking at it from like a you know boss standpoint, whatever. Um, it's like if you didn't meet expectations, there's a certain you know level that you have to be at in order to hopefully combat that like lack of self awareness, whatever. But yeah, I, I think overall it's it's just like a it's it's a really tough situation. But most of it goes back to personal branding is why you want to build something mm-hmm. because obviously not everyone's going to build up to that scale. Right. But being a, a a creator by itself is. Even if you're not, even if you're you're the back office technician, if you've built a brand of, about being the best podcast producer at ESPN, you're going to be fine, and you will be able to go other places. Yeah, and even like something much smaller than that, like just starting any sort of like social account gives you on a personal level is like really empowering. You know, you might like if you're starting, you might get like made fun of a little bit, mm-hmm. or whatever. But I, I guarantee you, you're a far more interesting person doing that stuff. Like if I meet somebody and they're like, Oh, I do this, this or this. I'm like, that's really cool. Like, tell me about that. Like, I want to hear you be passionate about Mm -hmm. that. I want to hear like what you're working on. I want to hear like why you're doing it. You know what I mean? I think that stuff goes a long way in your professional life, in your personal life. You'd be shocked about like, if, if you are going for a job where you are putting stuff on your resume, I remember like a few of the marketing agencies when I was first applying for actual jobs, I had started YouTube. I started my blog and almost, and I put it on. It wasn't like I had a big following or anything. Yeah. Again, when I first started, the first questions I would get every time I got a phone interview was like, yeah, tell me about this like fantasy football mm-hmm. blog. And I'm like, why? <laughs> but like, <laughs> here you go. Yeah. It's just something that's not very, obviously content is being more normalized, 
but it's something that's not very normal. You know, but if so- you start something that show, right, you're applying for a saying. marketing and job, and you have to market the channel. It's it just people are just they're like, okay, cool. This this guy has something else about him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's willing to work at something else. He's passionate about something. He's willing to figure out ways to do stuff. He's resourceful. Like it's just something that go. It, it starts to affect every part of your life in a in a very very positive way. So no matter how big or small you do it, I would just suggest starting to do something, have some sort of expression around what you're passionate about. I would say the easiest way to do that, and you know, and this probably applies to 95% of jobs, is I would get on Twitter and I would just like talk about the industry I'm in. And you almost build yourself. You don't need to do all the threads. You can optimize in the future. But like if you are a social media manager, right, which is a fairly replaceable job. You know, I was a social media manager at one point. There's people who are better. There's people who are worse. But I would just tweet about, like, stuff you're seeing, how Bleach Report did a nice job, how Overtime did a nice job. How mm-hmm. le- Like, there's so many ways to just talk about the industry you're in. I mean, it's just your portfolio, right? realistically. Like, when people that are trying to hire you are going to start looking at your name and so like going back to like the draft weekend right like when we're starting to screen people and now now people yeah. down if we have an idea for people that we want in it it's like them just providing their social media accounts to us and yeah. i'm not looking like i don't need you to be a fantasy football content creator but yeah. like i need to understand who you are as a person and obviously if you're passionate about something like you're um like there's what there's one guy that he didn't come to any of the previous years, but he like put his resume in or whatever. He's like, Oh, I'm a bartender. I'll make the drinks. I was like, that's pretty cool. I go to his profile. He's like also uh, a photographer. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. Like I'd like to have people who are like invested into other passion side hobbies. It'd be cool to also have them there just to, like take pictures and yeah. like document the weekend yeah. and stuff with us. But those things go a long way in a lot of different aspects. Cause they're going to look at your social as your first, the front line of, um, of who you are as a person. And I promise you, like, they'll start caring less about the actual job they want to hire you for if you're a more interesting person. Yeah. It, it also is funny growing up, you know, you when you're applying to colleges, I feel like everyone changed their names or, like, locked their profile. Right? Yeah. You hid your stuff. Nowadays, your your social media is your profile. People it, want you to see it so bad that they're doing fake shit. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's like, think about all your profiles. as I would have my what I do in my bio in like Mm -hmm. what my interests are I would have the same profile picture and people do that on LinkedIn but but I find more people on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and like learn more about who they are and that is their landing page that you know everyone has was told to like create their own website right to showcase their work no one's going to anyone's website they go to your twitter your instagram and that is a display of like who you are and what you do so i do want to say one last thing on on the espn stuff i don't know if it's irony and i once again i'm not trying to be an asshole but all those people at espn probably cover this league we call the NFL, right? And the NBA and, and all pro sports. And what's the most common phrase that comes up when anything tough in sports happens, when when people get cut, when they get traded? It's a business. Yeah, okay. But whenever, like, it's an actual business move, people seemingly forget that it is a business. So Pat McAfee is plus dollars and whatever this person may have been working on was minus dollars and then they get emotional over it it's just a bit ironic because they're covering sports where it is so commonly said why was this quarterback who was dedicating his career for 20 years to a team 
it's a business and it's understood in sports, but it's not understood in actual business. Yeah. Um, it's, there's just too much emotion in all right. of it. Like some of those people have probably worked underneath their manager who had to fire them for like 12 years or something. Like, like God forbid you ever have to let people go on your team. Yeah. You think they're gonna be like, hell yeah, it's just business, man. No, but I get I, it. you'll be like, fuck. That's what I'm saying. It is understandable. I just think it is crazy ironic that, the athletes are the one, and they get equally emotional over mm-hmm. it, right? And there's farewell posts, and they're crying, and you know all that stuff too. But it's just like when it actually happens, it, everyone wants to think like, "Oh, he gets cut because it's a business; it doesn't meet the salary cap. It's a bad, you know, mm-hmm. expenditure for the for the team." But when they get let go or cut or traded, it's like, "Oh, but you know, they're they're signing that other guy. Oh, by the way, he's a ten time Pro Bowler. That's why he's signing him. And you're the fourth string left tackle. That's why you got cut. Tell him, Jack. Tell tell him how you, I, this feels like a Lamar Jackson. Right, no, that's right that's why I'm not trying. It's just uh, no, it's no. just crazy. So um, the the last thing I have in in the notes is that Rumble. So there's Twitch. There's obviously YouTube, and then Kick, which has Aiden Ross, and then Rumble which is kind of another platform, um, they all go forward as like these freedom of speech, be who you are, platform types, no limiting your creativity. Uh, they just signed Aiden, not Aiden, uh, Speed, I show Speed, and Kai Sanat, who had the most Twitch subs in a month, to a $100 million deal. Exclusive live streaming show for those two, but not exclusive to the platform. So the show and the content lives on there, but they can still stream on YouTube. They can still stream on Twitch. One or the other is like banned and one's on their last strike on those platforms. So, so they're allowing them to put that same content on. No. So I think that content has to live. Okay. Their show together has to live on there, but they can continue to create their own personal content wherever they want. hundred million dollars. So, you know who, you know, who was on rumble? No. Oh. Mason, Fantasy Flock. Really? So we noticed it, yeah, like a year or two ago. And I was like, man, this kid's like going crazy with it. And then I had him on my channel a few months ago, and we were talking after we filmed about it. And he was like, yeah, Rumble. He's like, Rumble like threw me a bag. So I put my stuff on there. And it's like my videos were not exclusive to it. But what was exclusive to it that I thought was super interesting, they have some sort of a product where – people can sign up to be a member of whatever you're offering. Mm-hmm. And he was exclusive. His membership stuff was exclusive to rumble. So like he couldn't like do a Patreon, right? He yeah. couldn't do a Patreon. It was gotcha. all exclusive to rumble. And I didn't talk to him about numbers or anything, yeah. but I'm assuming it was pretty good money to put his, um, to put his stuff there. So that was one where I was like, interesting. Uh, that's one where like, I think in business, you at the level we're at, at least you start to get faced with decisions mm-hmm. on, uh, you know, m- money eventually talks when it's yeah. a large enough number, you know, and that would be something to look at now, I guess. But if you're starting right, like, I don't think there's any real number that would make a deal like that make sense. If Never. you're like, you're like, oh, I want to be like a, I want to build a YouTube channel. And then Rumble's like, we'll give you 20K to not make any YouTube videos for the next year yeah. would be a huge fucking mistake. Yeah. You know, like it, the sacrifice of where your time, energy and content goes is exponential in the beginning, mm-hmm. like it's everything in the beginning. Like you have to make sure that the foundation of what you're building is correct. 
if you want to make that deal when you already have the audience that you know you can push over because they you right, if right. you already have the demand for your content then yeah. it doesn't matter it still matters but it doesn't matter as much but what, i still think there's it's like a joe rogan's like caller daddy it's like yeah. those like they have a level of like right. we're gonna put content out and people are gonna watch it no matter where the fuck we are even though it still hurts their brand and there's there's probably people who are like there's the new creator or even the beginning creator. Then there's the creator who could probably move to another platform, bring some interest. But they're on I, the precipice of being great, and right. that would fucking kill them. Exactly. Right. And I even think, like, I haven't seen or heard a Joe Rogan clip or podcast since he moved exclusively. Like, I used to consume it through YouTube. I see clips a lot on TikTok. Yeah, I never watch on YouTube, but I see clips a lot on TikTok. And so now, I like, he got to the point. And so did, you know, Aiden and then so did Speed and, and these guys uh, and Kai. Like, I'm all for it. Cash in. This is this is your mill. moment. Yeah, like 50 mil each cash in because there's only so many more levels to go from there. And uh, like Ninja, Ninja cashed in mm-hmm. and it killed him. Yeah. But he made $65 million in a year. Well, then, yeah, that, that becomes a personal question. It's like, what, what are you building it for? Right. It's like if someone came to you and was like, hey, I want to buy... And maybe you answered this differently. It's yeah. like, hey, we want to buy Snapback Sports. It's like, I sell it, and then what? Then I, like, spend all day trying to build up Snapback Sports. Right. Like, my own, like, second Snapback Sports. Yeah. It's like, that's a question for you. It's like, where, you're, you're building something for what? Are you building it for freedom so right. that this thing runs by itself, but you have enough money that you're, like, happy to kind of step in when you want? Are you building it strictly to make money? Because then I think that's something you need to ask yourself. What happens when you make the money? Is right. Are you building it just to make money to, like, retire and go live on a beach or mm-hmm. something or do you want to become like an investor i think those are questions that don't really need to ask at the start but they do have a ripple effect in the way that you behave in the start i think and that that's like the example of it like if any of us started putting our content exclusively on a platform like rumble like our brand would be dead very quickly ours would at least yeah, you yeah. know what i mean so it's yeah. like no ours would too yeah it'd, it'd be kind of problematic but it is interesting maybe we'll see more of these platforms start to it makes me wonder like where where's a company like rumble get a hundred million cash to give out. I don't know. Like, did they really get that much investor money? I don't know that, that I don't know. Kick. I understand their model a little more because they're just going to promote gambling and it's all connected to stake. And that's kind of their cash flow. I'm unsure what, what rumbles vibe is. Yeah. Cause I, cause if they paid them, they paid like Andrew Tate's on there. I saw a whole list when I was doing the research from a monetary standpoint, because you hear a lot about like, say a company, and this is a unicorn is worth a billion dollars. They're raising money at that valuation. It doesn't mean they have a billion dollars cash in the bank to give out. It's like, it's like, okay, but they're making money off, off the platform too. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. But it's like, well, it's like, okay, we'll give you a hundred million dollars for 10% of your company. That means it's a billion dollar company, right? But you have a hundred million cash. You're not just like giving 100 million cash to two creators. Like you have the CEO and you have all the people that you also might not need it all up front. I've always struggled to conceptualize that, like how the NBA salary cap could be a fifth of the team value. Yeah. No, I I, I get how it can be spread out. It's just that amount of money, given how much I feel like they probably don't have in terms of investor money, is is kind of baffling to me. But it should be interesting to see how it plays out. Do you have uh, any QA for today? Um, let's see. I, I asked people to put in, so okay. I'm sure we have some. Let's see. Rumble Rumble valuation. What do we think? Valuation of Rumble? Yeah. Do you have like a hard I, number? I'm trying to find it. Um and what and at what like time period was it given? They spacked for two point one billion. It gave them four hundred million in cash. Those those specs, you know. <laughs> I never really like understood that 
It seemed like the biggest Ponzi scheme of all time. It definitely was. Like, it was like, oh, just let the everyday man invest five bucks those, per those share. Those SPACs were hot for, like, yeah, six months during COVID. That they always crazy. felt like scams, too. I never invested in a SPAC, but the funny money is gone. Funny money is for sure. You have an inner monologue. He's been asking that, like, five times a day in the Discord. You have an inner monologue? That? Do you know about that? What? How... There's like a certain percentage of people that don't have an inner monologue that like speaks in their mind. And it's yeah. actually like a weird thing. mean? Like, do you have a voice in your head? Like, that's like your own voice? But yeah. Yeah. There are people that don't have an inner monologue. There's, there's like a high percentage of people that don't have an inner monologue. Wait, how would I know if I have one or not? Like, are, what's the difference between thoughts and, an, and a voice? Like, that, I don't. Like, some people don't have like thoughts? inner monologues talking to them. What does that mean, though? That's I what I, it. Like, I need you to describe it so I can determine if I'm. The weird person or the the norm, and I don't know which side I even want to land on. Like I have thoughts, intrusive, not intrusive. I mean, some <laughs> of the thoughts are definitely intrusive, but like I'm trying to f- I'm trying to find like a good uh, synopsis of it, like numbers wise and exp- explanation wise. Numbers, yeah, like the percentage of people uh, that don't have it. Okay, so here's here's a funny example. So so if your boss if your boss asks you to do something right at the point you were planning to leave work. You don't think, oh, fucking bullshit, what a, what a pain inside your head while saying out loud, no problem at all, boss, one, someone asked. People them. don't have that? How could you So the person's answer that? was no, never had that. Um, I'm, if I'm asked to do something I don't want to do, I just kind of get frustrated, but that's about it. I don't, I don't think out loud to myself. Not others loud. others confirmed that the experience was similar, yeah. I'm the same way. I don't have any cautious thought about what I'm feeling or any stream of dialogue describing it to myself. I just feel it. It's like the inner dialogue is the middle man in my head who just isn't there. So does it actually give you percentages of people who have that or not? Everyone needs to comment right fucking now. Uh, this is, this is a have... this, this is like a, a thing. Like I've heard about this a, a bunch of times over the last like, couple of years. All right, put it in the comment section. Hit the subscribe button too. Comment below, do you have an inner monologue? Yes or no? I, I kind of... Okay. This is inner monologue was thought to be a part of the human being, but it turns out there are people who have never experienced it. Actually, inner dialogue is a frequent occurrence for only 30 to 50% of people. What? Yeah, I think that's weird. Good percent of people don't have inner monologue. Like, I definitely have an inner monologue. So annoying. I guess, how do you determine, like, just thoughts and thinking as opposed to an inner monologue? Can you have a conversation in your head right now that that's tangible, that you could be like, this is what I just said in my head? Yeah. Yeah. You but how, inner, but you how is that monologue. not a thought? That's what it is. Like, you don't have intrinsic thoughts. You just express them outwardly through words or feelings. I'm confused. And, and my mind's confused. You don't have a brain. You only have an inner monologue. You don't <laughs> actually have a working brain. All right. Whatever, Smitty. We answered it for you. Um, so, all right. So, as, all right. You ask Q&A, right? He goes in, Schmitty goes into Discord. And while he's potentially typing, do you have an inner monologue? He's thinking, is this a good question? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. Is that a monologue or it's just a... Th- Same thing. An inner monologue is your thoughts being said to yourself. Okay. I mean, I, I think about, like, what my purpose and and what's the point of life sometimes. Is that, like, an inner monologue? Yeah, I think so. Like, is my brain... Be- it's just, like... It's, see, I get it. Like, it seems like, how can someone not have right. that? Yeah. And I don't even know how true it is. I think I've met a few people before that don't have it, too, um, which doesn't make sense. Does it... Though. Do you do you think you can recognize the type of person, or like, are there behaviors? I don't know. I don't think so. The, the I there's only gotta one. Be. There's one person that stands out to me that because they asked me. I think they were the one who introduced me to yeah. this concept, and they were like, "I don't have one." But I don't think. All right. So anything. what do they do? Like that's that's different. There's got to be something. 
Um, like, are they more reactionary or are they happier because their mind's not always fucking talking to them? No. Or are they sad because no one's talking to them? <laughs> <laughs> Do they dream? I don't know. I didn't. I don't. I don't remember if I asked them that. How are they not? Someone like dropped out of the rooftop runs tonight. Mm. Noah A. Mm. How How was the first run? By the way, it was good. So it was the first time I've organized the run, and I put together this group. And the court is I describe it as like full court. Like you have to play full court because it's a super sh- short court. Three on three, you play, like, the Warriors. Like, there's so much space, and, like, it's very fast pace. Mm-hmm. Four on four, it's, like, the 80s. Like, you just get hacked on every play. There's yeah. no <laughs> spacing. Uh, like, when the game gets tight, it's just, like, fouls and, like, yeah. you know, pick and rolls that no one rolls and no one's open. Um so we had, like, nine, and we were going to play, like, fours, and someone was going to come late, or we are going to just play threes. But then there's a bunch. Apparently, there's like a couple other groups that also have chats mm. that are either live in the building. So I'm I'm like tracking when people are playing because then this other group pretty much showed up with like ten. So there was at the peak. So like we scheduled the run for like seven, and at the peak, which was seven thirty, you schedule you like schedule the courts like somewhere. No, you can't. Uh, That's the thing. You can't reserve it. You can't schedule. So at like seven thirty, if you lost. You're probably off for like a good half hour, which mm. that sucks. But that was probably the longest wait. Um, and then once it de peaked, I would say the longest you were waiting was like two games. So ideally, you know, we get 12 tonight and no one shows up. Then we're running fours, you know, it's just one on one off. And if there's stragglers, then, you know, maybe you sit for two games. Are people good? I'd said... Is it a mix? It's a like, I'll be fine? Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know your game. I think you suck, but you've said that you're not I don't. Bad. I don't Have, suck. You've like, played I'm, with I'm Noah at, before, I'm sure. No, I don't think I've ever really? played with Noah. I don't think he'll be that much better than me, though. Okay. Noah so, Noah. I described it... Noah's watched me play and okay. complimented me playing. He's a very nice person. Correct. He's, like, right. really nice, and I think I love him. But I'm actually um, going to text him right now. He... So, how I would describe it as... Out of the eight players on the court, I was either the second or third best player on the court in like in that game. So I was rarely. You're the second or third best player. Yeah. Oh, so I'm probably gonna be the. You're definitely way better than me. Uh, I don't know. Like, no, but but Noah was like third or fourth. But he okay. also he's he doesn't like. I just don't want to be. I I don't want it to be like five really good players no. and be like I'm a problem. On no, the court, you know? no. There was no one. There was no one that played that was significantly better than anyone. There was a clear best player for a couple of the games, and then there was one kid who showed up who was like Jokic. Like he was like 6'6", six, six, 220. But, but even he wasn't that good. Okay. It, it's just kind of his size. But it's like it's a bunch of six foot one, six three to five ten kids. If you can shoot, you know, you're a little better probably. Okay. Uh, but Des Bryant's pulling up soon. You saw that? Because I, I I actually am obsessed. Like the court is has to be one of the coolest. Dude, courts. it looks it, awesome. It, I actually think insane. this has like a lot of potential to no, be like something really cool. Yeah. So we should turn it into an NFT. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a picture once it got dark out at an angle, which had I saw. it was the, awesome. Yeah. The World Trade Center and Des quote tweeted like, "Oh, I'll give you all buckets." Like we follow oh, each other on Twitter. Um, oh, I didn't see that. And yeah, so I was like. I want to get people to pull up the the one of the guys who who took all the um, rookie photo shoots for the NFL premiere. You saw all the rookie yeah. stuff. He works at Fanatics. He used to be the Sixers photo guy. He was like, 
dude, I would love to like shoot guys at the court one time, Bruh. like pros or like oh. not <laughs> us, but like maybe he'll, yeah, maybe he'll pull up on us. This is the funniest part about it is we've organized some like networking runs before. And the thing I like about this group is it's really not intentional to be even close to like an industry or networking thing. It's a curated group where I know the majority of people, but I'm letting some well, people. Well, in. that's why I think it has yeah. like legs. Cause that's, I mean, that's but, how you start a community. Yeah, it is. Know? But Alex was like, yo, let's set up a networking run. And I was straight up like, yeah, I don't have the, I don't have the energy for it. I don't want to do the logistics. Like there is a, I think it has to come super naturally, which I would expect it would. Um, But yeah, it was a really fun. For me, it's just selfish. Like it's in my building. Yeah, it's awesome. All I want to do is like play pickup hoops. If I meet cool people while doing it, it really just becomes a bonus. And I do not want to make this the core of like that. But Hallie did say, that it really could turn into like a dating thing because if you're sitting off for like if the if you just had girls come and while you're out for two games like it's a good crew of people yeah and, i mean that's like, fair be, that's fair i guess you know, uh so she she started. everyone's got their own ulterior motives exactly it's you know, a problem exactly shut it down now before yeah it gets <laughs> that's funny yeah i'm excited to play tonight though yeah. actually i'm excited to see your game because i've been kind of you know in my head, you're trash. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I haven't played in like two years, so I don't know where I'm going to be at. But I'm like, I, I'm like athletic. I could jump. I'll play defense. I'll probably rip off like four or five blocks tonight for no reason, yeah. like big ones, you know. But like, I, my, sh- <laughs> I'll probably shoot like twelve percent from the field. Well, everyone shoots twelve percent. Okay, cool. No one's, fine. no one's actually good. That's the thing. Okay. Like, no one is a good basketball player. Some are better, but no one's actually that good. Like, one kid was crossing people up. And then just, like, Breaking not even everything. coming close on layups, <laughs> you know? Okay. Like, everyone is – the reason they're playing in this pickup run on a Wednesday night is because they're not that good at basketball. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. What time is it? Eight? Yeah. What other Q&As we got? Mm. They're all, like, deep spiritual questions. You can read them and see if you want to get into any of them. Starting from the you top. You sound exhausted. I, I, like, I don't know if I have it uh, right <laughs> now to get in. Nick's like, My film when I agree to do a piece of content, I am all in. But well, when I mean, you when people I'm, ask these fucking deep. <laughs> I meant like when I appear on someone else's show. Like right. this is my show, so I could do no, what I want. This is my no, no, no. show. You just for show. this episode. You want to see, you want to know how this show it's works? It's your pick, and I'm I'm drafting for you on underdog. That's fine. All right, let's see. Tua, you drafted thick Tua. It was before Tua. the picks. I probably have. Uh, <laughs> that makes me want him more. Yeah. He's gonna He's sling so thick. That's three right. tight end build. Have you seen the numbers on three tight end builds, brother? No, I actually haven't. And tell me who my receivers are. I probably have Tyreek, right? Um, or Waddle. Yeah, you got Tyreek. Yeah, that's why. I you need more him. wide receivers. Chase Claypool, positive report this morning. I don't hate it. What was the report this Let's morning? Let's go A Rob. I feel like we should nah, go. Nah, hell no. Go nah. Claypool over A Rob. A Rob's the buy. He's got the build for it. A Rob hasn't been good on a football field in like I literally know, six I know, years. I know, but there's something about 32 year old wide receivers who have like this research. Who are like the fifth best option on their team. Is he the fifth best option? Deontay Johnson Deontay Johnson, sucks. George Pickens, Pick. Pat Fryer moves, Najee Harris. I would say at this point I'd rather have like Jalen Warren than fucking A-Rob. Don't, <laughs> don't touch A-Rob on my team. All right, I'm trying to have a 0%. Congrats. Uh, you got Tim Patrick. No, I'm kidding. All right, you want Claypool? You I'd rather have him than A-Rob, yeah. Back to the questions. Um, uh, all right, we'll, we'll do one. Brandon, screw all the nice questions. <laughs> what... What do you think about ESPN 
employees complaining that day. <laughs> what was your biggest They're failure? Stupid. <laughs> what was your biggest failure that almost made you quit, but you then prevailed? Biggest failure that almost made me quit. Um, I would say the thing that comes to mind would probably be the bash. Mm. Like when we our NFT project that we launched earlier this summer that we worked really hard on, made the announcement for it, like made a cool promo video. Promo video went over really, really well, got a lot of interest from it. Then there was like an article written about the logistics of it were like poorly put together and that gained a lot of steam on the flip side. And then we got a lot, it it was just kind of like a roller coaster and it made us need to like dive into what we were doing with it and whether or not we were going about it the right way. And there was like a week, maybe not a week period, but like a three or four day period where we were talking to different lawyers and stuff and different people within the industry that know what was going on about whether or not we could even run the project whatsoever. And we had already put in hella time, probably like 20 grand of cash Mm -hmm. into agencies, lawyers, whatever, um, of our own money out of pocket to try to run this thing. And at that point I was like, man, I have a feeling we might have to like actually shut this down. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just kept kind of like talking to good people, exhausting our resources, seeing where we could pivot, where we could, the, 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 the toughest part about it is like, I had such a strong idea and a vision for it. Mm -hmm. And based on where we were, we needed to take out some things and take out, um, things that I thought made it what it could have been. Uh, and we had to pivot. So I I would say that that was probably it. Like, I'm proud that we went through with the project. I'm proud that we, you know, we've ran the tournament. I'm proud that like, we could look back and say like, Hey, we, we pulled this off and we were probably the first in the industry to, to do it. Um, but it, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was definitely a lot of perseverance. It was definitely took an emotional toll at the time for sure. Um, but we powered through it. And now I feel like when I'm faced with things that I feel like are like overwhelming or we can't overcome, I look back on that and now it's like taken down a notch. It's almost like, I don't know. Um, almost like going through like breakups you know it's like you go through a relationship and you break up and it's like the first cut first cut is the deepest you yeah. know what i mean like the first relationship is the deepest then after that it's like you know yourself a little bit more and you're like oh, this wasn't going to work anyway so it's like it becomes a little bit less scarring each time and that's kind of how i look at these like business scars where that was a big one for me mm-hmm. now something like that arises i know how to you know keep a cool calm collective and understand that it's not the end of the world and there are ways that you can pivot and you know th- that's kind of what i took away from it my f- the first word that came to mind was like, how do you, what is a failure versus what's just something that like, I would just acknowledge that the market didn't agree with what I thought and I would pivot off of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many times we've just straight up shut shit down because it failed, but pivoting is what you should always be doing. So our biggest failures to date. Was there anything like, I think a lot of failures like that come with expectations. So is there anything, or it comes to expectations plus investment. I think expectations right. plus investment create this like, really high um, like connection. Like merch, merch for us. So I'm a huge believer in the, the, the thought of like, if you can't sell 20 t-shirts, then, you know, that's not a good thing. So we launch our merch. It's like just our logo with a, you know, on a Nike T and like, you know, the stuff didn't fly off the shelves. So was it a failure? Yeah. I mean, we can, we can chalk it up to a failure, but we really are just pivoting to what I think makes more sense for us in the long term. Now, do you look at that? Like, do you look at that? Like, okay, product market fit isn't there. We need to figure out something else. Or is it like, all right, the reason this didn't sell is because we need to put another year of work into people falling in love with our brand. Right. Yeah. It's probably, it's also, that's why, like, the Super Bowl event, 
was a failure for us because we spent a fuck ton of money and we could not move tickets. And so I was like, do we just shut down like our entire event strategy? Well, because I was going to say now, now that that happened, yeah. like how. Uh, and, and then so we're doing this MLB stadium tour where we're, we're doing 50 tickets per city. And we've sold 105 in 24 hours, which based off the Super Bowl event where we were trying to sell like 50 uh, or I forget what we were trying to sell. Um, it just seems like we needed to not pivot, just a better market fit, which is our audience likes going to games. They don't necessarily like going and seeing live podcasts, right? That's not the type of content we do. So put together a package that actually fits the market a little bit more. Um, I'm like, it's so funny how this stuff works. What was the pricing of the Super Bowl thing? $30, I think. 30 Yeah, it really wasn't expensive. And it was a good deal. I just think it was Thursday of Super Bowl week. And they also had to be in that location. Yeah. They're offering five different locations. Now. Yeah. And um, I am more excited about selling 100 of those tickets, which is literally $2,500 in revenue, which we will make, we'll lose money on this. Like, mm-hmm. we're still making this a very sweet deal for everyone because the game ticket itself is like 25 to 30 bucks. We've coordinated everyone in the same section, and we're bringing hats and pins, which is another $10. And we're trying to work with MLB. So, um, okay, so but, but I'm head over heel. Like, yeah. s- selling th- that is so big and so important. That's why, like, the fam meetups, you know, when we pitched to, like, Amazon, right, about what Snapback Thursdays could be, you know, they won 70 million impressions. I don't think that, you know, when we put in the deck, like, we had 50 to 100 plus fans at every meetup. I don't think people could ever understand like how powerful you that is. It's not even powerful, yes, yeah. but how you will never understand how difficult it is to pull that off <laughs> until you're in our seats. That's that's what I'm saying. There's just so few people that yeah. can do it, and so few people that have done it that it's it's almost not worth like it's just so difficult <laughs> to explain how difficult it is I to know. actually pull off live. Like events. like we'll have more people sign up for one of our partners tomorrow mm-hmm. that will equate to the same amount. Of money for us as this, and that'll be profit, and this will be losses. But holy shit, the hundred people that have bought tickets, I'm like, that's because, because the signing up for the partner, it's the own, literally the only thing that they are buying into is losing ten dollars. Right. When they do a live event, the sacrifice that they're making, sacrifice is a dramatic word, but it's the money, but it's also the time they're going to be traveling to it, yeah. and it's like. Yeah. socially it's yeah, like what yeah. if i'm not comfortable around new people it, yeah. there's so there's different factors for so much of it yeah. that you're sacrificing in a live event that makes it difficult to pull off and it's almost like they're on the fence and you need to convince them and then convince them and then convince them yeah. and then it, yeah it's um the live events are crazy so the super bowl thing didn't necessarily work and you were like do we change the whole strategy of our live events like yeah. what what's that thought comes here you have an inner monologue about that thought <laughs> what's like the what's the combative thought you just say like nah fuck that we just keep pushing forward like what's so the so i guess that's part of it which is our live event strategy was actually going to be all these different variations of live events so one of them was going to be a live podcast at super bowl one of them is going to be a video game event one of them is going to be a tailgate and one of them is going to be activating at these tours so that's the thing. Unless you give it a full run at it, it's tough to say it's a true failure. One segment of that failure of that might have been a failure, but but was it because it sets up us for it, it, it's all connected. Um, so yeah, I I think there was 
more so a fear. And we probably could have shut it down and been like, you know what? This just isn't what our audience does. They don't come out to do things. But having seen them come out to do things at games before, it would have been tough to be like, no, they won't pay for it. Because they were paying for game tickets. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. I do not know uh, what failures I've, I've kind of shut it all down for. Um, I don't think I'd, like, ever put myself in a position, though, where, like, one thing would incentivize me to shut everything that's down. what i mean i would yeah. just pivot and yeah. and and try and figure it out and it could be a completely different form like i i'm invested angel invested in a company right now um i'm actually trying to get to sponsor <laughs> our stadium tour who was a completely different company right it's still the same team for the most part but they have literally completely like whatever you invested in you are no longer invested it's a completely different company they that might have been a failure, but they just like are pivoting into something they think is going to work best. So until that LLC is broken down, I'm not going to consider them a failure. They failed along the way, but every company is, is going to fail along the way. Yeah, and I think that's content creators too. It's, it's tough to um, find out exactly what lane you need to be going. Like you can't actually know what lane you're going down unless you try to travel down it. You know? yeah. Sometimes you'll get a flat tire. Sometimes you'll hit a dead end, but you just you got to keep pushing. I just I would just be weary of don't put all your chips in one basket. Don't, don't ever make like an investment where, you know, if you end up at zero, if you end up at flatlining, like the investment goes to zero, then, you know, you're shot. Just don't put yourself in that position, but try a lot of things until something feels right. And then keep slowly pushing down um, that Avenue. Last thing I want to add to kind of bring us all full circle. One, bring it, build a community. Like it is so vitally important. And then two, you think I couldn't go to five MLB games and get paid to do that and post one Instagram story? Or I don't even need to to make the money. But being able to literally connect with 50 of my... I am undervaluing the shit out of my time <laughs> flying all over the Midwest, literally spending thousands of dollars to just travel there, to stay in a hotel for, for a night. Like each one... My, my time is just completely being undervalued. But not by those people, but like no, no, in no. what you could be doing. And what I could be, yeah. I could sit on my couch and take some, you know, picks <laughs> on underdog and people would sign yeah. up and, you know, we would make so much more money. But undervalue yourself, Bill. And I know for a fact, like those 250 people I'm going to get FaceTime with and I am going to be friends with them for life and connect with them for life. And they will probably be fans and support me fans for life. And also, like, they're in your community, your network. If they ever go on to do something cool, it, they'll, they like, will be the first person that wants to intern and work for you exactly. as well. Think about, you know, this is probably the best way to put it, to, to continue stealing your graphs. Everyone always talks about, I went to University of Texas, right? My alumni network. Your fan network is probably the least spoken about thing. Like, those 250 fans, now... Right, the tentacles have spread. Who knows how that's going to? Every single person in our company now, and yeah. anyone that I would even consider hiring, comes directly through me talking to my audience. Yeah, Tony, Sexy, yep. Chris, soon to be more people on the team, people yeah. that know me through content, people that watch my content. Every single person comes yeah. through. I would never fucking post on Indeed. I would never like you know like it just shit. It's yeah. not real, but yeah. like that's building out the community. You only need a yeah. few people in there to do specific jobs for things. And the most important part is. I'm not going into it with any of that being part of the calculus. 100%. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not like, 
All right, well, this 14-year-old kid who we're going to take a picture with in six years, maybe he'll graduate from Temple, and then he'll connect me with the six. Like, yeah. it's not even, like, in the realm of imagination. But shout-out to VCon because VCon looked fucking awesome. And I think that's the concept, which is, like, just put – Put people in the same space, and you never know how it'll work out. So. Yeah, and it'll always end up being good as long as you're the curator of it and you bring the good energy for it. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's it for this week. Uh, Tommy, thank you for the edit. Everybody else, thank you for watching, listening, etc. Hit that thumbs up button, subscribe, join the Discord, drop some Q and A for us, and we'll see y'all. Welcome, bike. When you're on a meeting, if you're lis- listening to, like, you have a mic like this, right? And your computer's here. And if you're just playing it through the computer. It doesn't pick it up. If you have, because yeah. this is such a directional mic, it doesn't pick up what's from No, the no. Even, just in general, the technology of it, I feel like, even if you don't have the best mic in the world, it still doesn't. It still doesn't? Yeah. Uh, well, I'd imagine that, like, the little holes for where audio goes into are just, like, literally right there. So no, no. That's not what it is. Do you know the answer? No, I don't. I can't figure it out. But I know that that's not the answer. Because I'll have like a speaker that's coming here in this direction. And then sometimes I'll have the sure mic like over here and people can still hear me. So I know that it's not like that specific. Uh, sounds like AI technology or something. It might be. I don't know. Who cares? Where was Tiffany's? Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like that poster, Breakfast at Tiffany's, that's in a song. Yeah. That was a movie. That's a movie. Movie poster. <laughs> Interesting. I bought that in a thrift store in Boston. I saw it for like fifteen dollars and I just like carried that around all day to make sure I could bring it back here. Um